You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Study from the text of the book of Hebrews. We'll see that um, the the main line of argument, and it is a very logical book, the book laid out in the form of an argument, several arguments, each building one upon another to a grand conclusion. One of the grandest conclusions of all scripture in Hebrews 12, uh, which is really the conclusion of the book, even though there's another chapter of exhortations to come. But this grand church that we have come to through Jesus Christ, and that in every way Christ has provided something better for us, and so some of the key words and repeated words uh, in the book of Hebrews is first the word better. Uh, some uh, 12 or 13 comparisons of better are made in the book of Hebrews. Now when we say a thing is better, we don't mean that the thing it's being compared to in any way is bad. But we'll find in things that we need of a spiritual nature, they're provided better for us and we're provi- a greater provision made for us through Christ than even the Old Testament law, the law of God given through Moses provided. And that was a wonderful law. Inspiration calls it perfect. We find the people who followed it were not perfect and they needed even more uh, ways of forgiveness, more thorough forgiveness, more effective forgiveness than the law had provided. So in Christ, that would be fully provided. There's another uh, famous uh, set of words in the book of Hebrews. There's the let us words. Let us do this and let us do that. And I will refrain from any kind of salad pun. I absolutely assure you I cannot stand those and don't like them. But there are a number of exhortations that say let us do this or that. There's also in the book of Hebrews four times we find uh, some things impossible. We find some things that will not happen. And so there are the the things that can't be done in the book of Hebrews. But all of these are done, exhortations based and points made based in what is better for us in Christ. And so in Hebrews, the greater and the better things. As we would uh, begin to look, and tonight will be introductory material, Next week, we begin uh, the text in earnest, but today we have our setting and our place and the things that are made and provided for us. Uh, First off, the audience, the recipients. Who was it that that got this book, that that were the Hebrews uh, who are addressed? Well, we know this title uh, comes from antiquity. It's not a title that's inherent in the book itself. Uh, We're very big uh, today in uh, modern uh, writing on the title. And sometimes they say the title's the most important thing because that's what people see on the cover of the binding. Many people will judge a book. They're not supposed to, but they do. Uh, they'll judge the book by the by the cover. And really what's the most important thing on the cover? It, it's, it's the title. And so it's a title that's so important to us. But the ancient literature uh, coming in scrolls, it didn't have uh, titles uh, so often, like especially on the, the binding or the outside or in 
in big, large letters at the top of the text. Very often, texts were known for the first several words uh, of the text. Uh, that would be kind of the unofficial title. Well, this title, The Letter to the Hebrews, is a title that goes back almost as far as we can trace. And so it's an apt title, I think, and a good and a, and a right title. And uh, uh, it is uh, written to those uh, who were Jewish people. Uh, they were believers in Christ, we find, uh, but they were they were from the believers that were among the Jews. Uh, that title or name, Hebrew, is actually the word that uh, we get as Jew from. Hebrew is a longer stem word, and, and Jew, uh, an abbreviation or shortened form of it. We do find, though, the this uh, Hebrew, uh, Philippians 3.5, Paul said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a truly, he was a Israel of Israel, as it were. A Hebrew, Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrew, uh, from Genesis 14, 13, we find, is a title that goes all the way back uh, to Abram. So Abram was a Hebrew uh, when the Jews would call themselves uh, by the their self-chosen uh, title. Uh, they would use uh, the word Hebrew uh, from their father Abraham, and they uh, that was no title of uh, derision. That was a title of honor. Uh, that was a uh, something that uh, many of them viewed, of course, with superiority, and that they were the God-chosen ones to have a special place and purpose uh, in this world. Uh, they did respect things in Hebrew. Uh, in Acts 21, uh, there's the case where uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he made a long speech in Hebrew, uh, to the uh, Jews who had uh, been rioting, some of them in the center of the turmoil have been trying to kill him. The Romans rescued him. And well, when Paul was allowed to address the crowd, uh, he spoke in Hebrew. And it says that there was a great hush that came uh, as he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect. And he'd been speaking another language. They probably would not have given him uh, such a lengthy and respectful uh, listen. Uh, they did, though. Right up until he said, God's sending me to the Gentiles. And like that, and that was the end. And as far as the courtesy of that particular Hebrew was extended. And uh, in Acts chapter 6, just one other place we see, there were the native Hebrews, and then there were also the Hellenistic Jews. So there were the Jews who kept the old way, and then there were the Jews who uh, were more uh, Greek in culture and spoke Greek, and there became inadvertently, even in the church for a short time, a division, a a separation of people uh, based on this cultural distinction as to how Hebrew some people were and how Greek some uh, people were. So we know that, especially from Acts 21, where James, uh, the elder of the church in Jerusalem, and brother of our Lord, uh, James said that there were many thousands among the Jews who had believed and were zealous for the law. And these are now 25 years on, as we'll speak about in a minute. The most likely recipients of this letter uh, to the Hebrews. And uh, the Hebrew letter here, Hebrews 10, reminds the, the brethren that in the former days, after they'd been enlightened, which is a 
a way of you know, speaking of coming to the light, coming to the light of Christ, that those brethren had endured a great conflict of suffering. They were made a public spectacle of. Uh, they were shared in the sufferings of those who were uh, persecuted severely. They were sympathetic to the prisoners. They had accepted the seizure of their property joyfully. I think about that in relation to uh, the folks today in our country, and some of whom are Christians, believers, and in many ways devout. And, and they see a coming oppression. And I'm not saying they're entirely wrong about that, but but they imagine a coming deep oppression and antipathy uh, to Christians that will turn violent and uh, cause us to suffer harm. And uh, some of them uh, talk about the links to which they are prepared to defend themselves and their property and their station and their reputations. And I just think about these brethren who did suffer such a thing for the cause of Christ. They endured it. It was great. Uh, they were a public spectacle of. They were reproached. They had tribulation. They well, Many were imprisoned. These people lost their property, and yet they did it all joyfully because they, it says, knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. And if we do come to such a, a terrible conflict and set of issues in our country, I hope people will have the same good view of these things that the Hebrews did, these Hebrew believers uh, who joyfully gave up the things of this world, knowing that they had Christ. Well, they knew they had Christ back then, and there were thousands of them who did believe. But by the time the letter to the Hebrews is written, we find that many of them are weak, and there are many knees that were feeble. Hebrews 12, 12. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And so there are a good number of now Hebrews who had believed, but their faith was waning. They were weak and they were feeble. And so which group of, which community, large community of Christians who were Hebrews and had these things um, uh, upon them, uh, had these things in, in their past, uh, wh where would that fit? Uh, what time period would there, would there be a situation like that where you had a, a large community of Jewish believers? And where would you find places like that? Well, there's not that many uh, good um, uh, candidates. Yeah, where, where, where did you have in history large numbers of Jewish people who were believers. They were identifiable as Jews, but they were also uh, a large number of them believers. It's only in the first, maybe even the second generation after Christ that such is so, because the, those who accepted Christ, uh, those who became believers in, in the way, uh, after the Jewish rebellions of 70 AD, the big one that destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, there was another one in 85. There's another one in 105 or 115. After those Jewish rebellions, those believing Christians in so many parts of the world, they basically assimilated uh, more fully into Roman society, not having that um, uh, peculiarities of the law that separated them. The law made them a peculiar people. 
Of course, Christ makes us a peculiar people as, people as well, but not as much in a physical sense as the Jews were. And so the letter to the Hebrews could only historically have come in the immediate aftermath of the gospel in the time of the New Testament. So it had to be long enough for many Jews to have believed, but it has to be short enough for them to still be identifiable as Jews. And then we have to have a large collection of these folks where the social pressure is such that they are tempted to go back to the law of Moses. They are going back from the confession of Christ to the ways that they had lived before, uh, according to the ancestral traditions, as Paul would call them, in his letter to the Philippians. Well, there's only a few places where you had such large Jewish communities in that situation where so many were believers and identifiable as both Jews and believers for a time. And really, it, uh, it, it's in and around Jerusalem and Judea. It's also uh, temporarily uh, in the large Jewish community at Rome, maybe the large Jewish community at Alexandria. Uh, but uh, the one that best fits the bill from Acts 21, 20, where there were many thousands of Jewish brethren who believed, and also in the book here in Romans, excuse me, not Romans, Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 24, one of the very few geographic uh, mentions, and so therefore kind of an important clue, uh, only the very few geographic mentions of any place in the book of Hebrews is, uh, it says, those from Italy greet you. So uh, Hebrews 13, 24, greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. And so uh, there's a large uh, connection between Italy, Rome uh, would be the primary center and focus of that, and and, and these brethren. So some have thought this is the, the uh, brethren there, but it's just much more natural reading. It's, it's greetings from there. Uh, if you read the book of Romans, I mentioned by accident, the slip of tongue, Romans a moment ago, the book of Romans, the last chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentions some 34 or so individuals are or groups, mostly family groups or friend groups. And there are a, there's an awful lot of close connection between people from uh, where Paul uh, was from, which, of course, originally from uh, Jerusalem, and connected deeply there, and Rome, uh, almost a shocking amount. And so, the, again, uh, this kind of narrows it down to um, uh, the... Uh, People in 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 uh, Jerusalem and Judea, uh, or or in in Rome, and most likely the letter being written from Rome. Uh, I think now that kind of in a moment we talk briefly, very briefly, about the author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think that ties it to Paul uh, more than uh, most uh, anything else does. Uh, but uh, uh, we have this connection. Of, of the Jewish Christians uh, in Jerusalem and in Rome, most likely these are the ones back home in the homeland. They're the ones who face the most unique pressures to go back. So the setting, again, uh, I already made a little mention of this. The, it's some time after uh, the, the gospel is preached and proclaimed. Obviously, they're believers in Jesus Christ. We know what time and place Jesus did his work. And so it's after the church was established, and there's references uh, like that uh, persecution reference uh, 
Remember, in the former times, uh, these things happened. The former days, that was Acts 10.23, or 10.32, sorry, I read that backwards. Acts 10.32, uh, and then also, there's been enough time that uh, Hebrews 5.12 is an admonition, is very stinging, for the time you ought to be teachers. And so, well, when, when might somebody ought to be a teacher? You've been learning this long enough, buddy. It's time now for you to teach somebody else. You should know it well enough to be an instructor. But instead, i got to sit you down and run you through the kindergarten again, which is basically what Paul will say in chapter 5 at the end there in the beginning of chapter 6. So there's been some time passed, time enough for a responsibility of growth, uh, but uh, uh, also uh, time that uh, their time of conversion was the former days. Uh, but it's also, uh, I think, uh, we can see in the book of Hebrews, it's written before the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, one of the amazing things is for all, the central importance of the prophecies of the destruction of Jerusalem, so little of its actual fulfillment and record of its occurrence is in the New Testament. There's entire chapters in the Gospels, Matthew 24, uh, Luke 17, a decent bit of Mark, Mark 13, uh, all pro prophesying this day to come. And then uh, I think we have it mentioned here in the book of Hebrews as, as, as yet to, uh, to come. And we wonder, well, why isn't why isn't that big thing? There's such a buildup to it. Where's what happened? Well, why are we still waiting on the record? Well, I think that the vast majority of the books were written before the destruction of Jerusalem. Very good evidence uh, that the Gospel of John, and most think it was quite a bit later than the other Gospels. Very good uh, reasons to think it was written uh, while Jerusalem is still standing in its old form. Uh, the book of Hebrews uh, will look at the coming day passage, seems to be, uh, to uh, that. And also the book of Hebrews, it will mention the, the priest at the current altar. And so the altar is still uh, functioning and the priestly offices are still taking place and their duties are still being done. And then there's a few books that manifestly seem pretty obvious to be after the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, first, second, third John and Jude. Uh, seem to be uh, very likely in that regard. And so uh, why, uh, why, not, uh, uh, why not a mention there? All right, so uh, why didn't these things um, get mentioned? Well, the, the letters are written uh, before, before these things occurred. All right, so um, just uh, the quick um, back here. Uh, just a, the quick mention uh, of the verses of Jerusalem still standing is certainly when the book of Hebrews is written, Hebrews 8 and 4, talk about those who offer gifts according to the law, uh, these priests who were doing these things in the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. The fact in chapter 9, verse 6, they were continually entering into the outer tabernacle and performing the worship. And it talks about the, uh, it says the outer tabernacle is still standing 
and it's a symbol for the present time, which may be, may be a bit of a, a prophecy uh, to uh, the fact that it wouldn't be standing much longer. Or maybe it's just uh, building on what Jesus said, that not one stone will be left upon another. And the author had confidence that that would occur. But in chapter 10, verse 11, the priests are there daily doing their ministry. And those in chapter 13 who are at that altar have no right of participation in our altar. But that all gives the hint that this is not long. This is not long before uh, that temple is to be uh, destroyed. Uh, the, um, uh, the author talks about um, uh, you know, the coming day, actually, uh, excuse me, Hebrews uh, 10 and 35. And if our author is the Apostle Paul, uh, then, well, he was uh, put to death uh, in uh, A.D. 67 or A.D. 68, which is only two years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And there's mention of Timothy and mention of Italy, which who do we know in, you know, not long before the destruction of Jerusalem was associated with Timothy and was in Italy. It is the Apostle Paul. Again, we'll talk in just a moment about the authorship. So not long before the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, this book was written. And shortly after, the uh, then some several years, uh, then the unique concerns of this book, uh, particularly regarding so many Jewish things, would no longer be temptations, would no longer be things that might beset the brethren. Now, the lessons taught and lessons learned and putting the old law and the new law, the old system and the new system, in a full and obvious set of contrasts, that has been beneficial for us from the day it was written. But that is, a, for us, an object of edification, uh, rather than you know, the living need to not try and live under the law anymore. And even today, when people most law-bound you could possibly think of, trying to live under the law of Moses uh, with as many rites and rituals as they could, None of them could have approached uh, the daily situation of people living in Jerusalem or Judea before the destruction of Jerusalem uh, when you had a priest uh, available in every town or village, uh, when you had the synagogue uh, on every corner, uh, when you had your community uh, members in mass making the trip to Jerusalem to go worship at that actual temple. And it was fully functioning with priests and sacrifices and you know you can you can hear the moo, and you can smell the things. Uh, nobody has ever had such a situation and such a unique uh, pressure uh, to go back to it uh, than these folks. And so we be- we benefit from the you know the conceptual uh, uh, and partly practical uh, examination of the law versus the gospel. Uh, these folks that was a daily reality of their friends, neighbors, maybe relatives, pressuring them, saying, come on to synagogue with us, worship uh, with us in this way, and not that new way. And so it's a different set of things. All right, so uh, here's our purpose in writing to encourage these brethren under this uh, historically unique uh, set of, of circumstances. Of course, it's not historically unique. We're tempted by Satan to go back to the world and to go back to uh, the way we were before Christ, uh, although it was a little unique for these Jewish folks, 
None of us will ever leave the way of Christ for a way that was ever God-approved, right? There is no God-approved way outside of Christ, and there never was except for one, which is that approved way under the law. And so it was a unique situation. And so they, they were given some special encouragement in this regard. So where it says uh, here in uh, Hebrews 13, 22, it says, but I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And so in the book of Hebrews, it says, is a, is a short letter of exhortation or a short a word of exhortation. Um, and so um, I need you, brethren, to uh, be exhorted. I need you to be strengthened. I, I'm writing to you to, to build you up. Uh, of course, that word of exhortation is exactly the same way that one would um, describe a sermon. And the, in the New Testament, we find sermons written or, or referred to in such a way as this, is the word of exhortation. I personally believe that the book of Hebrews is the, the first 12 chapters, at least, are basically the full text of a sermon or a letter that's written exactly like a sermon would be written. That, uh, you know, we think about the famous sermons in uh, the Bible, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters. It takes 15 minutes to read at most. It's not evidently the full text of the sermon. Those people were Jesus all day. Uh, the Sermon on the Plain of Luke 6, even a shorter version. Uh, the famous sermon of Peter in Acts 2, it is a beautifully concise outline of the you know, position of Christ and the reason to uh, believe in him and uh, how to respond to him in faith, uh, to be baptized, to uh, be converted. Uh, it, that's actually the words of Acts 3, be converted, repent and be converted. So one is repent and be baptized, one is repent and be converted. But the, 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 those sermons of Acts 2, of Acts 3, or uh, you know, Acts uh, 11, or Acts 13, Acts 17, uh, those sermons are, are obviously the outlines, not the full text of, of those. Uh, but here, I think in Hebrews, we have a full text of a sermon or a letter written that would be exactly like a sermon. Uh, and uh, we'll study the structure of the book in just a second. But uh, we have this encouraging sermon, uh, the arguments for what is better and the exhortations to put it into place. And, of course, we have the emphasis on faith in chapter 6, uh, that we need the same diligence to not be sluggish in chapter, uh, well, also in chapter 4, uh, to uh, receive the word united in our hearts with faith so that it might profit us. In chapter 10, uh, the, uh, uh, the need to have a sincere faith, draw near, hold fast our confession without wavering. Uh, not to be those who, in chapter 10, 39, shrink back. Or if he shrinks back, my soul has uh, no pleasure in him. And then, of course, Hebrews 11, uh, the whole chapter on faith. And so uh, have faith. Seek that uh, better country. Seek in the way of God and, and endure. You have need of endurance, uh, brethren. Uh, we became partakers of Christ if we hold fast 
uh, with beginning from the beginning with full assurance, firm to the end. So so endure. Or in Hebrews 11 about Sarah and Abraham, if they wanted to go back to the country from which they came, they would have plenty of opportunity. But they pressed on in faith. And so the the argument is for the superiority in every way of Christ over these ways of things uh, that you had had, uh, over these things which you had known in in Judaism. And I, I just want to put up now, and I'm going to make this uh, handout available at the building uh, the next time you're here, if you'd like, this visual outline of the book of Hebrews. And what we'll, we'll note is there's a number, um, eight or ten arguments, uh, of the superiority or, or greater stature, position and blessing and work of Christ. And then a couple of times in the book, uh, exhortations uh, that are based on those things. So we have two sections of the book of Hebrews. We have the argument section and we have the exhortation section, which breaks out a couple of times during the arguments. So in the arguments, we have Christ is greater than the angels. Uh, that'll be chapter 1. In chapter 2, Christ will be greater than Joshua. And we wonder why particularly Joshua. Uh, well, or pardon me. Uh, uh, sorry, that's a four. Got out of order there. Uh, greater, He's greater than any men, any man who, who ever lived. And then we have Moses and Joshua as great men. The, the one who gave the deliverance and the one who brought to the promised land. And then we have all the priests, and we'll uh, talk about priests in general, and also Aaron, the representative great and first high priest. Uh, we have all these these um, angels first, and then people, and people in various roles, absolutely important foundational roles in Judaism that Christ is superior to. Now, when we start the priesthood discussion, there's an exhortation by the author that says, you guys need to study, and I really can't get into this as much as I'd like because y'all can't follow along because you don't know well enough. Kind of a big yikes moment there for the audience. But it then goes right to a, a, another exhortation about falling away, and the, the cure for that is to have a real confidence of what God has said. And he uses Abraham as an example. So we have these arguments, uh, greater, 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 greater Christ, greater Christ, greater Christ. Then, okay, I need to tell you guys to put this into practice with the exhortations. So then back after the exhortation section, back to the, he, to the, to the priesthood, talks about Aaron in particular, talks then about the covenants in general, the new versus the old, the promises that come with them, the greater mediation, and the more spiritual service that's offered in Christ, and I think I, without controversy, probably is chapters eight and nine of the book of Hebrews that people know the least. Uh, and, and it kind of shows us what the author was meaning when he said, you guys are having, you're going to have trouble following along. And I tell you, by the time we get to eight and nine, all of us go, I'm having trouble following along. And, uh, but uh, Christ is a greater mediator. And we think about the great need of that because uh, you know, we're made in the image of God, a holy God, and we need a mediator who can bridge the gap, who can talk to, who can help us get back to him. We're so far beneath and below 
where we should be because of sin, that we need a mediator who could even talk to the two parties for us, talk to us and talk to him. All right. And then we have the greater sacrifice, which uh, thankfully starts things start clearing up a little bit. The fog lifts a little bit. We have the great sacrifice of Christ. And then we have something of the results of all of this. And then we break into the big section of exhortation. Uh, we have the warning that you guys need to be faithful. Hey, look what he's done. Look what he's given. You need to be faithful. And then we have uh, the examples of faith uh, in chapter 11, the famous Hall of Fame of the Faithful. Uh, almost wish uh, chapter 12, 1 through 3 was with chapter 11. We'd see Jesus as part of the faithful. Because so many times we study the faithful and we just we go through Hebrews 11 and then we stop. And well, the great faithful one is right there in the next verses. Fix your eye on Jesus. And so the greatest example of faith. So we have the lessons on faithfulness. Then we have kind of a hard section, not hard to understand, but hard to take. The scriptures, you know, when we say the scriptures are hard, we got two kinds of hard, right? We got the, it's hard to understand. What does he mean? And we got the, it's hard to take. Oh, I know what he means. And that's the problem. The problem is I understand what he means. I don't like that. So we have a section on chastisement of God acting as a faithful father and in chastising and correcting his children. And then the, the final exhortation of that part, don't come up short, buddy. You know what to do. You've been doing it. Keep doing it. And so then we come to that great conclusion in chapter 12, which really is like the invitation to the greatest sermon ever, which Hebrews is pretty much one of the greatest sermons ever, where we've come not to a kingdom that can be shaken, but the eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we come to the church in general assembly, the firstborn, and all the just made perfect. We come to all these great things in Christ, and you can have that, or you can have that which is going to fade. Take your pick. So we have the glorious church that is Christ. And then that's really the end of the book proper. Then we have the closing exhortations, uh, which run the gamut as to um, you know topics, anything from being hospitable to not fornicating. That's pretty wide, pretty wide gamut there. And, um, you know, follow again the example of Christ and follow him outside the camp. And uh, uh, he did that for us. So let's let's go follow him. And then we have a few, very few personal details. So there's the closing exhortations and and closing business after uh, the main thrust of of the book. So we're going to use this visual outline uh, as as our uh, key and as our guide to what we're doing in the book of Hebrews. All right, um, I have to say a few words, but they're not going to be many. Uh, back when this beard was a different color, I used to think a lot and care a lot about who wrote the book of Hebrews. And now realizing it's all inspired of God, I, I, I don't know for an absolute fact as to which prophet God spoke this sermon through and had it delivered to the church. I think because of the time, the circumstance, and the setting of Certainly our most likely candidate uh, is going to be the Apostle Paul. Uh, from chapter 2, uh, the author um, separates himself uh, from the apostles uh, to some degree, talking about uh, uh, the apostles delivering the gospel to those of us who heard. And the Apostle Paul did not hear the gospel from the apostles. Uh, he made a very big, big point of that in Galatians, saying he got it directly by revelation. 
I thought I think though he's probably speaking accommodatively there. But in any case, it it's somebody who's separated from the main body of apostles. I think Paul qualifies in that. But uh, if not Paul, uh, who is uh, basically of all the ink spilled in regard to who is the author, uh, Paul gets about half the votes. Uh, Paul gets half the commentators. And uh, the other folks either say, I just don't know uh, at all. Um, and again, he was with Timothy and he was in Italy about the time of the writing. Uh, but we have a few other, uh, you know, reasonable uh, candidates uh, or uh, candidates who've been brought up, you know, by respectable people on a regular basis. Uh, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, because this is such an encouraging letter written as a word of exhortation, and he's the great brother exhorter. He's also in the right time and place. The Apollos, uh, one of the main arguments for Apollos in this is the fact it is such a beautifully eloquent letter. And who's the eloquent man of Scripture? It's Apollos. Uh, some have given us as Luke. That's the only one that doesn't seem to me real likely in that uh, the Gentile uh, making this lesson on um, on Jewish things. But hey, God's done stranger things, right? Uh, wouldn't be outside wouldn't be outside even the normal uh, for strangers. He, he brought the he brought the savior of mankind uh, to the world by uh, birth in a uh, you know in a in a stable uh, to a virgin and had the king of the universe laid in a manger. And so outside the realm possibility? No. My guess probably not. Clement of Rome uh, one of the very earliest of the next generation of people after the apostles. And uh, I think that chapter two, uh, talking about the, almost as if it's a generational, we heard from the apostles and uh, now they've gone and, you know, we need to hold fast to what they said. Seems to be the main. Anyway, uh, I'll take Paul. If I ever say Paul, you know why. Um, but uh, that's all we'll say about that. Used to have a lot more on it, but I, I won't. We do note uh, that the author was quite well known uh, to um, to the readers. Uh, there's no doubt uh, about that. Uh, that uh, uh, he said that uh, he would want to be. He wants to be restored to these brethren, and so uh, he appears to be in Italy, wanting to be back with them. That sort of fits Paul. <laughs> Sort of. Uh, we know he had a lot of desires to travel at the end. Uh, the others don't know. Uh, but uh, these these people certainly knew and had confidence in this one. So here's the main thing, though. This uh, purpose and layout of the letter uh, given to us in absolutely beautiful, uh, well-presented, well-ordered logic. Uh, it's thoroughly going one of the most uh, consistently logical and and on point uh, books in uh, in the New Testament, I believe. Uh, unlike say Second Corinthians, which is the most emotional, and uh, it's most really, you know, Second Corinthians is a bared outline. Uh, this book is um, on the greater parts. Everybody outlines those really well, uh, but I think if we view these other things as exhortations that are uh, necessarily, but uh, briefly, interrupting the main flow of the arguments, then uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll see them in the right place. 
and uh, understand this book of exhortation in a good way. So look forward to studying these things uh, with y'all as we go forward in the, in the next studies over the next coming weeks, Lord willing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.